Malik. How are you, man? Matt, what's going on, man? Thanks for having me again. It's good having you back. This is uh, one of is our third together and one of four for the year. I like having the, the majors. It feels like it's flying by. I feel like we're talking every two weeks with the major schedule this year, but um, people love having you on, so thanks for joining us. Thanks, yeah, no problem. This is this is definitely going pretty fast. I can't believe it's already June. So I just I got back from the women's open a couple of days ago and I needed a sweatshirt walking through uh Cleveland Hopkins Airport it, and it was June third, so it's a little scary, but let's do it let's do a uh, quick recap on your time at the uh, US Women's Open down at Charleston Country Club, Seth Rayner Design. It looked I was watching the coverage, um before Tiger got in the hunt at Memorial, uh, but wh- how was it, man? How was the week? What were some takeaways from uh, from your week down there? It was awesome. It was really hot. I think that's the first takeaway that uh, who anybody that was down there would tell you that. But other than the heat, uh, it was great. It was the golf course is really cool. Uh, old Seth Rainer design, as you said, and uh, you know, first uh, USGA Open that they went. To a uh, Seth Rayner design golf course, uh, they went to Char- Charleston Country Club in 2013, where Emma Talley won the uh, U.S. Women's Am. But uh, it was it was great. Charleston's an awesome town. It was my first time being down there. It was really cool. It's, I was telling people it's kind of like Nashville with water. To be honest with you, uh, a lot of live music, great barbecue. Um, it was it was a perfect city. Great week, and uh, the golf course was awesome. It was. very old school kind of set in the neighborhood um you know not a lot of land but usga did a great job of setting it up nothing too crazy and uh kind of understood what to do with the golf course and uh what to expect with how the women will play it and it was great we had a great winner in uh jung jung on lee six and uh she just struck her ball so well she was unbelievable ball striker and uh it was it was a fun time to be there with Fox, and I feel like uh, they did a great job in production, and uh, it was awesome to be able to go commercial-free for five hours, and uh, I think that was kind of unique and kind of showed the viewer a, a different side of uh, golf production. Yeah, it was um, – I don't know if you guys were able to, to digest much of it, but I, I just saw some articles because um, I thought – I thought it was great television, you know, awesome, classic golf course. Uh, It was firm and fast. I was actually playing in in Beaufort, South Carolina, um, Friday, Saturday, not too far from Charleston. And and I couldn't get over. I've never been down there this time of year in in May um, or early June. And it was it was fast and firm. I mean, you're in low country and the ball is is bouncing and bounding through the fairways. uh, that those conditions just looked really cool on television. And I was enjoying, you know, watching the coverage, even in the clubhouse we were at, we, we all switched over from the Memorial to that coverage. And we're like, man, this is, this is better. This is more entertaining. But then I saw an article that had the ratings of the U S women's open and they were, um, they were poor. They're one of the worst in recent history. And I, I thought that was so such a, a misfortune. I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of factors, but what do you think? I mean, what, what, what are, is that uh, just a, a state of the game type of thing, or, or is there other factors that uh, that need to be worked on? Yeah, maybe it was just because uh, nobody really knew about the golf course. I think that was the hardest thing is that going to a place where you know nobody's really heard of. I mean, I honestly didn't know anything about the golf course until the couple of weeks leading up to it, just trying to do some research on it. But uh, yeah, I think that's kind of the biggest thing. I think that's the hardest thing too is when the USGA tries to. Uh, take on golf courses that people don't really know about that's kind of the risk they take is um you know instead of going to oakmont or pebble beach places where people are familiar with and they know you know every hole and they know the history and you know this is the like you know next week we're going to pebble beach this is the sixth u.s open that pebble's going to hold and you know the fact that they have the AT&T Pro-Am there every year so people know that golf course like the back of their hand and i think when you go to a course that's awesome and that's very old school and that's a great setup in Charleston Country Club but the fact that they just don't have the history that some of these other golf courses do have that the USGA routinely routinely goes to um i think that you know just hurts with 
the viewership. You never know what you're going to get out of it. But I think uh, Fox did a great job of of going through the history of Charleston Country Club, uh, going through the history of uh, the membership, um, the old professionals that they had at Charleston Country Club. They had Henry Pickard there who uh, won the Masters and is, you know, I know who he, he is just because of my affiliation with uh, with Canterbury Country or Canterbury Golf Club in Cleveland, where I caddy, my brother and I have caddied there for the last seven summers. So I know who Henry Picard is, but uh, yeah, I think that's just, you know, that's the risk that the USGA takes, but all in all, I mean, it was a great week and I think they, they hit a home run with uh, Charleston country club. And I think that the, uh, the membership loved having us there and it was a lot of fun. I had a blast. Yeah, no, it, it was uh, obviously success from all those standpoints. And I did like the, co- the coverage is, is getting so good. But it's cool to see, you know, this this uh, golf renaissance and this appreciation of the game you know, led by like Nolan Up and Andy Johnson. And, um, they they are they're putting together some awesome content on the plays. But I I thought the the coverage is content. You know, Brad Faxon and um, some of the lead guys that I'm sure you were helping out last week. I th- their rundown on the template holes and actually you know showing what holes those come from originally, like the original uh, Dan and, and all these things. I thought that was really cool, uh, but probably a step for the average um, the average golf fan, you know, tuning in. And that they're just being introduced to that stuff versus really geeking out on it like like so many of our, our members might or the, the avid golfers might. But uh, it's a step, man. I thought it was great. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, Fax did a great job in kind of dissecting some of the holes and relating them back to, you know, more famous holes like the road hole at uh, St. Andrews and Bally Bunyan uh, over in Ireland. So he did a great job. I felt like, uh, you know, we were able to, I don't know, show it in a way that, like you said, golf geeks would, uh, you know, be happy about. And, you know, No Lang Up and Andy Johnson were big uh you know, supporters of the covers that Fox did. And uh, it was, it was great. I, I think that, uh, you know, those diehard golf fans loved it. So I think that's what we were trying to, you know, appeal to that week. And uh, I think, you know, in that standpoint, we did a great job of doing that. That's uh let's recap the PGA real quick. Um, really not a whole lot to cover, except that, you know, we look like geniuses with our picks. Um, but well, you but did. I, I, I don't know if I look too good, but you picking um, Luke List out of nowhere—that was pretty impressive. I was hoping that you would comment on that. Thank you, thank you for acknowledging. Uh, I just had this feeling, you know, Bombers Paradise. He—he he was just—that uh, was just pure luck, dude. I, I pulled Luke List out of a hat. Um, but uh, but no, it was what we expected. You know, Brooks just taking it to the field. Yeah, I mean he's. My brother and I were talking about it a couple nights ago because we hadn't seen each other since Brooks won. And uh, my brother Nick was just like, that guy's just a machine. He's 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 ridiculous. He's like he's like Bjorn Borg. And uh, if any tennis fans are out there, I mean, he just doesn't he doesn't show any emotion. I mean, he's a robot. I mean, and the guy, the way that he thinks about golf is just it's I mean, I, I'm jealous. I wish I could think of think of the game the way he does i mean i really do uh he the way he dissects majors and says that they're they're the easiest to win i don't i only have to worry about 15 guys and if i beat those 15 guys i'm gonna win and you know the way that he kind of laughs and says i you know golf you know regular tour events they kind of bore me he said the other day i i wish they were like 12 holes because five through ten are just i i get lost out there it's just it's just very repeatable and it's just boring to me. I don't, I don't really. He's like, it's bad. I wish I wasn't that way, but they don't catch my attention. He's like, when we go to a major, that's what I'm playing for. And uh, just the ability for him to just, what was really cool and interesting to me was, you know, he starts kind of backpedaling there on the back nine there on Sunday, and DJ's making a run and. Uh, which was pretty funny to me, and I think what sums up Brooks is after he bogeys 14, he walks the 15, and he's got a one-shot lead on Dustin Johnson. 
And that New York crowd all of a sudden turns pretty quickly and they start chanting DJ at Brooks. And Brooks said, he said, when I bogeyed 14, I was feeling nervous. I'm not going to lie. I was feeling like this could get away from me. And uh, he said, as soon as I heard the DJ chance, I looked at my caddy, Ricky, and said, I'm good. I'm good now. I got it. And that's all he needed. I mean, the guy, he's an athlete. He's not a golfer. He's an athlete. And, uh, you know, we talk about Dustin Johnson. We talk about Tiger Woods. We talk about, you know, guys that are freak athletes. And that's that's cool. But I don't think any of them have the mindset, the athletic athlete mindset that Brooks does. And, you know, Brooks needs that extra push. He needs that negativity. I mean, if, if he played every tournament in – Yankee Stadium or Lambeau Field, he'd probably have a hundred PGA Tour wins. I mean, he because it, it's almost like the louder the better for him. The more negativity, he just feeds off of that. I mean, whether it's Brandel Chambly or talking about his weight or talking about uh, you know other guys that you know haven't accomplished the things that he's accomplished, but he's not getting the notoriety for it. Um, or just simply chanting, you know, DJ Adam because he's choking a little bit. I mean, he just feeds off that. He's just a different animal. And then he he flips a switch and says, "Screw it, I'm you know, I'm going to shove it right back in your face." And you know, I mean, the most emotion I've ever seen from the guy he displayed on 18 after he makes that par putt. He makes an unbelievable up and down from 40 yards. And he all of a sudden he flips the switch and just goes crazy. I mean that was that was pretty cool. I mean that shows that how much it meant to him. And you know the last three times he's won majors, he kind of just walks off the green, tips his hat, and you know says thanks very much. I kicked everybody's butt again. But you know that that emotion that he showed there it shows that you know he cares about it. And it was uh, it was pretty impressive to see how much it meant to him. I think the thing, one of his pressers, he mentioned something that I thought all us average golfers can take away, which was, you know, when he's playing in a uh, uh, PGA Tour event because of the conditions or just the, the nature of a PGA setup, he, he kind of tries on Saturday to, to get in the hunt or take the lead, whatever. He's, he And it was subtle, but he said, you know, in the majors, I let it come to me or something along those lines. And because of the difficulty of a major championship, how hard they are to win and how many more emotions are involved, it does seem like he has that, you know, you call him Bjorn Borg or robot type mentality. But that's it to me. It's like he doesn't press out there. He he uh, has that competitor focus, but he lets the course come to him. And if you actually pay attention, he plays pretty dang smart. He plays really aggressive, but, you know, plays a lot of the fat part of greens and um just don't never panics out there and i think like for us you know they're playing our five dollar nassau or whatever and we're just trying so hard to to win uh, a lot of times you just gotta you gotta plot along and, and do your thing and just keep confident keep aggressive and um that's what i that's what i took away from his win from a personal perspective yeah no doubt i mean it's you know yeah he hits driver on every hole but he's hitting the, the shot that fits the type of hole. I mean, if it's a dog, dog leg left, he's going to hit a little draw. If it's vice versa, he's going to hit a cut. I'm, you know, like you said, he plays the fat part of greens. He's not, he doesn't get sucked into, you know, going to a pin that's tucked behind a bunker and, you know, is in the back part of the green. And if you fly the green, you got nothing to work with. And yeah, he doesn't do that. Uh, he kind of weighs his options and, you know, if it's a flag that's in the middle of the green, nothing around it, then he goes for it. But, you know, people say, oh, he's so aggressive. Well, he's really not. <laughs> he's he's very smart, and he, he takes percentages into play. Um, you know, what I take away from his game, too, is just his confidence. Like, you know, we talked about is he just doesn't – he doesn't uh, seem to be phased by the pressure, by the moment – um, whoever's chasing him down. I mean, you know, last year at the PGA, it's Tiger. Uh, you know, this year or last year at Shinnecock, he was paired with Dustin in the final group, or sorry, the second to last group. And then, uh, you know, this year he's being chased down by Dustin again. And it just doesn't seem like he's phased by anything. I mean, even at the Masters, you know, people are like, oh, well, he hit the, you know, he hit in the water on twelve. Okay, he hit in the water on 12, but then he comes back. You know, he's got 
I mean, realistically, he should have won the golf tournament. I mean, he really should have. I mean, it's great that Tiger won the Masters, but Brooks Kepka, that was his golf tournament to lose that entire day. I mean, he had two putts on 17. He had a putt on 17 and a putt on 18 for birdie, and both inside 10 feet. And if he makes those, he wins the golf tournament by a shot. And, you know, he eagled, he eagled 13 or 15. I can't remember which one because it was a couple months ago. But, uh, you know, right after he doubles 12, and I mean, you know, even if he if he just bogeys twelve and makes one of those birdies on seventeen or eighteen, I mean, he wins by two shots. So, you know, we we really we could be looking at a guy who could be going for the you know the year Grand Slam right now. I mean, he could easily have won the Masters. He finished second there, and then he you know wins the PGA going out in style. And now we're going to a golf course that you know looks like that he you know he could very well win that again. Let's uh, let's go to the golf course, Pebble Beach, U.S. Open. Um, give us a little bit of background on the Open there, maybe some history uh, of the USGA at Pebble Beach. Yeah, I mean they've you know this is the sixth time that the USGA is going to hold the U.S. Open at Pebble, and you know to me Pebble is kind of like our St. Andrews. It's America's St. Andrews. Uh, you know. Probably other than Augusta National, if you don't even really know anything about golf, you probably have heard of Pebble Beach before. Whether it's just the iconic views on the Pacific Ocean there, or 17-mile drive, or Carmel Bay. It's just a fantastic, you know, setting in in our country. Uh, and then the fact that there's a golf course on it and that it's a pretty historical place is just that much better. And uh, so, like I said, this is the sixth U S open that they're going to uh, the winners, you know, there have been pretty impressive starting in 1972. Jack won there. Uh, 1982, Tom Watson had that famous chip in on 17, the par three ends up winning his uh, first and only U S open uh, 1992, a 42 year old Tom kite. He had an unbelievable chip in on the seventh hole there that you remember when he was wearing his Coke bottle glasses and red V-neck sweater. Uh, he finally got his major championship win. And then it, I think the U.S. Open that everybody remembers is uh, Tiger's just <laughs> thrashing of the field in the golf course of in 2000, shooting his 1,200 par and winning by 15 shots, which was, I mean, he just played a golf course that nobody else was playing that week. And then, uh, and then in 2010, you have Graham McDowell. And what I think is interesting about you know the past five U.S. Open winners that we've had at Pebble is that we've, you know, we've had three legends of the game in Jack and Tom and um, and Tiger. And then we've had two guys that are have had great successful careers, but are kind of more known as grinders. You know, you look at Tom Kite and Graham McDowell, and they're kind of the same type of player. Great wedge players, don't hit it, you know, a mile long, but guys that just kind of to pride themselves on their grittiness and their ability to kind of survive the tough elements. And uh, that's what a U.S. Open is at the end of the day. I mean, you know, it's known for thick, rough, fast greens, narrow fairways. And, you know, I think that's it. they've had perfect winners there every time they've brought the U.S. Open to Pebble. And, and um, you know, I can't wait for next week. I think we're going to have another great winner. And uh, I I think that it, they're going to have a great setup there, and uh, it's just going to be a lot of fun to to watch. You know, with all those different champions, and, and it's it is one of the cool parts about going to a place like Pebble is that as a fan, you do have the recall of all those holes, and you know Watson chipping in on seventeen, and uh, the scenic tee shot off a of seven, little par three, um, Tiger, you know, coming up eighteen as he's throttling the field by fifteen shots. Um, what, do you remember what the setup was, uh, uh when Tiger won? I, I'd imagine it was that traditional U S open long, long, rough, narrow fairways, speedy greens. Um, but in the last two U S opens at, at, uh, at Pebble, did, did they differ from Tiger's win to, uh, to Graham McDowell's, you know, what was the, the usual setup, uh, the USGA put together for, for Pebble? Yeah, well, I was four when uh, in 2000 when Tiger won, so I don't really remember that one that much. But uh, <laughs> but uh, I was actually on, watching the. That's what you got books. You got things you could look at. <laughs> yeah, no, I've I've seen that tournament a million times. I was just uh, giving you crap, but uh, yeah. So I, I mean, I've seen. I was actually just watching it last night, uh, and yeah, I mean, the setup was 
pretty much the same as it was in 2000 and as it was in 2010. Um, they tend to just overgrow the grass uh, that we're not used to seeing. And the AT&T uh, Pro-Am, they usually just kind of, you know, for the amateurs too, they don't want eight-hour rounds out there. So they're not going to make the course setup that difficult. But uh, when they go there for the U.S. Open, the USGA definitely likes to narrow the fairways a little bit. Um, they, they tend to be careful with the greens just because of the type of grass that uh, is out there and California so they already know that it's going to be a little spotty a little bumpy so they don't try to you know over overdo it with the greens but uh they definitely try to protect the golf course a little more um they they'll definitely grow out the rough nice week um and they'll try to you know I think they'll try to defend par to be honest with you I mean you look at the last two U.S. Opens that were there and We've had low scoring winners, and uh, you know, I mean, obviously, Tiger, you know, he wins in 2000 by uh, by 15 shots, but at the same time, I mean, the next, the next, he was at 12 under, but Ernie Yells was at three over, so you know, it was playing tough that week, and Tiger was just kind of an exception, and it shows his, his, you know, his greatness and the fact that he can. Go to you know, he was able to go to golf courses that were that hard, and he just didn't even care about par. I mean, he just blew it out of the water. And then, you know, in 2010, Graham McDowell shot even, and he won by a shot over Gregory Havray. So, you know, par is definitely defended on that golf course when they take a U.S. Open there. And, um, you know, I think that I'd be shocked if, you know, the winner next week is any lower than four under. You know, I've I've actually I've been thinking a little bit about the setup of courses in general, uh, and, and I was thinking about you know Shinnecock last year. What a unbelievable golf course! You know, strategic, um, tons of variety, played fast, firm, um, a lot of width, which is popular minimalist kind of philosophy now of having more width in fairways and allowing for angle. Um, I'm starting to, to flip back for the U.S. Open. In general, I think those are all principles that we need more of in golf. But specifically for the U.S. Open, and, and it was Tiger's comments and Rory's comments that got me thinking more about it. But, uh, you know, what is the U.S. Open's identity? And I think a little bit of that shift they've had from even Aaron Hills. I went up and watched it, and, and everything kind of just felt like this pseudo british open uh where you know from from the heather and you know designing the course for wind and then they don't get any wind they get a ton of rain and we, we know what happened at at aaron i i just f- started to think man this isn't you know the u.s open i went to to watch in 2008 at oakmont this isn't um and it just w- didn't feel as much of the u.s open uh which was at least from you know my 90s childhood really narrow fairways, really high rough, and and maybe not uh, as much of the interest when it comes to playing the game, but when you're watching as a fan, I just think there was an identity to it that maybe the USJ stepped away from uh, for more of this popular populist movement back to really good principles. I but I, I just thought, you know, are they trying to be the US are they trying to be the British Open? And I wanted to get your kind of take, you know, in the USJ in general, what do you think the U.S. Open's identity is, um, where they're going, what they should be? Yeah, well, I mean, you just mentioned the the uh, 2007 U.S. Open at Oakmont. And, you know, that year, I mean, it was brutal. I mean, I remember I was I was there one day. I think I was there Saturday. And, um, I mean, that golf course was just unbelievable. I mean, Ano Cabrera won a five over par. I mean, that's just absurd. And then, you know, you look at the last time they had the Open at Oakmont was in 2016 where DJ won, and he was under par. I mean, you know, granted they had a ton of rain, but, but uh, still, I mean, I, I think, you know, that just shows, I mean, in the nine-year difference in the nine-year span that it took to get back to Oakmont, I think they, they changed a lot, a lot of things in their setup uh, and their philosophy of, of trying to, you know, prove who the – the best winner is, I mean, their whole philosophy, right? The USGA is that, you know, our golf tournaments are tests, you know, and we, we want to see who, you know, 
what player is left standing at the end of this test, you know, who can pass it. And I think, you know, uh, you know, being around Curtis Strange a little bit, uh, he's always said that, um, you know, the U.S. Open that he grew up on was thick, rough, narrow fairways, fast greens. That was it. And I think now, you know, granted, when he was playing, they, you know, the game was different. I mean, they they could go to, you know, golf courses like Marion and places like that, you know, shorter golf courses, Country Club in Brookline, um, just because the equipment was different. But now I think they're trying to go to bigger ballparks, um, you know, Chambers Bay, Aaron Hills, like you said before, um, you know, granted, they are going to Brookline in a couple years. Uh, they went to Marion in 2013, and look at how tough Marion played. I mean, it was a great U.S. Open. It was a great. It was a great venue. I mean, you didn't hear any anybody complain about uh, about that year at Marion. I mean, it was it was perfect setup. I mean, they didn't do anything too crazy with the greens. They knew exactly what they were going to get with the golf course. They you know they grew the rough out, which is completely fine with me. Um, you know, the golf course was under 7,000 yards, I think. So they had to have some defense to it. And we had a great winner, winner there in Justin Rose. So, you know, I think those setups are even more fun when you go to golf courses that aren't necessarily, you know, 8,200 yards like Aaron Hills. Um, you know, and look, I mean, you go to Aaron Hills and you set the golf course up as long as possible. Brooks Kepka just annihilates it. I mean, so it, it kind of shows. And then you go to Shinnecock, which is a completely different style of golf course. And yeah, you get the same winner in Kepka, but at the same time, the scores are a lot higher. And, um, you know, it was proven that the course was just much tougher. Um, I'm not saying that Aaron Hills isn't a good golf course. It, it looks very cool. But, you know, is it worthy of holding a U.S. Open? Probably not, to be honest with you. Um, is Chambers Bay a good golf course? Yeah, absolutely. Is it worthy of holding a U.S. Open? Probably not. I think they were trying to kind of test something out um, with those two venues. Um, you know, when they had the U.S. they had the U.S. Amateur at Chambers Bay in 2010, and then they had the U.S. Amateur at Aaron Hills in 2011, and you know they set it up completely different for the amateurs than they did for uh, for the U.S. Opens. Um, so I think, you know, I think they were trying to test it out. I think they were trying to, you know, if they, especially with the equipment, the way that it was going, maybe they felt like. You know, if it keeps going this way, maybe we have to go to different places and, you know, bigger golf courses. But, um, you know, I think now they're kind of getting into this trend where they're throwing it back to old school courses, Shinnecock, Pebble. Um, you know, th I think it's going to be very cool. They're going to L.A. Country Club in a couple of years, Brookline. So uh, I think they're trending towards uh, those old school USGA golf courses that uh, everybody knows and loves. Yeah, no, I I think the trend towards that type of golf is is a very good thing in general. I'm just I'm wondering about uh, specifically the PGA and the U.S. Open and just kind of finding their identity again. You know, I mean, it just has seemed like they they both have been testing out different setups, different courses, but um, you know, to really stand alone as a major, uh, you you have to have that identity. I think that it's just uh, challenging for them to, uh, to to fit into the four majors without having um, that clear identity of, of what they are. But maybe they're just going, you know, that full round, full rounded test. You know what they should do? Maybe it's like you start off on number one and it's, you know, a 10 yard landing strip of a fairway uh, with seven inch rough on both sides. And then you get to hole number two and it's this just big withy bald park that is all about the angle and the approach to a really severe pin you know cornered on one side of the green maybe you just like they rotate the strategy back and forth maybe that's the full <laughs> well-rounded test it's not like you have to go one way or the other yeah i mean i, I don't know i mean I, I feel like they almost tried to do that a little bit at aaron hills and it just they just got completely slammed for it um because if you remember, I mean, they grew the fescue out a ton and everybody was complaining about it the entire week. And so they cut it all down and, you know, and then everybody just goes out and destroys the golf course. So, I mean, yeah. you know, and I'm not harping on Aaron Hills. <laughs> I know I've brought it up a couple of times, but, uh, you know, it's one of my golf. best friends is from Wisconsin and he and he loves that place. And he gets so 
pissed off whenever you know we talk about how terrible the u.s open was there but um you know so i I apologize for that if anybody has any you know heartfelt feelings about aaron hills i'm not trying to harp on that but it's just an easy uh you know it was a couple years ago and it's easy to point the fingers at that one tournament but uh yeah i mean i think it's a good example though of how reactive the usga has been in in these new venues and these new sites and um you know back to pebble i think it it allows them to be a bit more proactive when they've had six opens there and they've had the amateurs and the mid-ams and they know kind of what to expect in terms of play and, and they they stick to a plan it just feels like those other sites they were always playing catch up they were always trying to to fix things and and that's become honestly in the last five to ten years that's become the identity of the u.s open is chaos <laughs> you know carnage in terms of the scores but uh a little expected chaos i guess is is fun yeah i mean you know i think you're always the last couple of years, I mean, you go into U.S. Open week and you think to yourself, okay, who's going to complain about the golf course this week? You know, I mean, the last couple of years has been Billy Horschel. Uh, you know, look at Phil Mickelson last year slapping the putt around on that 14th green there at Shinnecock. I mean, for the 13th green, I think. But, uh, you know, I mean, I think this week or sorry, next week, it's going to be a lot of fun. I think, you know, everybody loves Pebble. Um you know, the USGA, they're not going to have to do much of this course setup, which is going to be, you know, very good for everybody, I think, uh, and all parties involved. I think USGA is going to do a great job setting the golf course up. Um, I think the players are going to love it. And I think, you know, the best thing about Pebble is that, uh, you know, at this time of the year, it's not, you know, sunny Southern California, you know, where it's going to be 85 and no no clouds. I mean, they're going to you know, it's going to be cool all week. I mean, I think the high next week in uh, Monterey is like 64, 65 degrees. So it's going to be cool. You're going to see a lot of sweaters. Um, So I think it's going to be, you know, it's going to be kind of a different vibe to the U.S. Open, but I think it's going to be, uh, it's going to be a great test and it's going to be a lot of fun to see those guys at the, uh, one of the most iconic venues and in America. And and we'll get to our uh, picks for the week, but um, last thing on the on the USGA and the course setup, we know Mike Davis uh, relinquished his duties to I think it was John uh, Bodenhammer, yeah. uh, a guy that's done uh, most of the amateur events for the USGA, um, and just seems to be a good move, right? Get get Davis out of the the press room, <laughs> talking about you know Phil playing hockey with his uh his putter on 13th hole last year but um but let's just say you know if the usj was were i think you're right i think it's going to be a great week good for spectators great for players great for the audience but uh let's just say the usj were to screw up one thing this coming week um let's make a prediction on, on the one thing that they could possibly you know screw up uh they'll screw uh if they're going to screw up something, it'll probably be the greens. They'll probably try to bake them out or try to, you know, double cut them or, you know, triple roll them, whatever. Just try to, you know, make them way too firm and fast. And Especially with yeah. Pebble in a place where it almost plays a little bit like a Lynx golf course. Uh, just, you know, you get the wind whipping off of the ocean there. Uh, cooler, you know, like I said, cooler temperatures. So, you know, the ball's not going to fly as far, and uh, the greens are already going to firm up because of the wind. And um, so they're not going to have to, you know, worry about that. But, you know, the last couple years, the trend is, is that, you know, they do something that, you know, makes a lot of people mad and and upsets, you know, a better half the part of the field. And, hey, I mean, that's, you know, I I think – you know, the last couple of years, it gets blown out of proportion just because of social media. But, I mean, if you go back in the 80s and 70s and 90s, I mean, you know, guys were bitching and moaning about it back then, too. I mean, you know, so it's it's no different. I mean, it's, you know, it's not it's not like, oh, my God, in the last 10 years, the USGA has, you know, been setting golf courses up completely different. I mean, yeah, I mean, the the di- I, there's definitely been a difference in the setup, but at the same time, I think players have been more outspoken about it than they have in the past. Whereas maybe, you know, if Seve Ballesteros had a problem with it, 
he'd go up to you know David Fay and talk about it, but he's not going to go to the medium blast him. You know where now it's it's more you know guys you know they have a bigger audience. Let's face it, you know Twitter, Instagram, everything, and you know they they have more access to their fans, and so you know if if Jordan Spieth is you know pissed off about the setup of the 18th hole at Chambers Bay in 2015, like he was when they changed it to a par four on Friday, you know, and he wants to go and tweet about it to his, you know, a million followers, then, you know, it's going to be a big story. It's going to be a big news story. And uh, so I think, you know, that whole thing with the USGA course setup, I think it's gotten a little blown out of proportion. But uh, at the same time, I think, you know, going to a place where everybody's familiar with, where they're familiar with, six US Open there. I mean, they know how to set up the golf course. They've never had any problem setting it up before in the past. And they're just going to do the same thing that they do every time they go there. And it's they're just not going to worry about it. They, you know, especially the last couple of years with the PR nightmare that they've had. They don't want any drama. They don't want any, you know, soap opera stories. They just want a good, clean week with, you know, with no worries and, and a good golf tournament and a great winner. And uh, I think that's what they're planning on doing. And I think that's hopefully what we're going to get. So my prediction is that if they are going to screw something up, uh, it could be the Poana. The Poana is a good call because I, I, I grew up playing on a lot of Poana at Firestone North course. And uh, that stuff rolls awesome. But if you get a little too uh, aggressive with the mowers and rollers on it, it can get a little plinko boardy. Um, so that's possible. But my prediction is that they're all everything's going well. The week is going off without a hitch. Mike Davis is open the champagne already, thinking this is this is just we did it, guys. USGA, we have no no catastrophes. Everyone's happy, and uh, they they undercook the brats in the concession stand on Sunday, and they end up making thousands of of sports fans uh, very ill, sending them to the the hospital in in Monterey. So that's that's my prediction: is that they're they're going to be distracted from the operations of the event with all the tournament set up and trying to manage storylines that they're gonna they're gonna poison their their guests their fans <laughs> that'd be pretty crazy uh, i guess the good thing is is that like a hot dog at the u.s open is like you know a hundred dollars so it's like 12 bucks so maybe not a ton of people will eat them because you know you go to augusta and it's like two dollars so yeah that's another that's insulting nice thing. thing about the all majors should try. I know it's not easy, but they should at least try to manage those those costs. It's ten bucks for a beer is egregious. Um, no doubt. Uh, so to the tournament this week, let's talk about uh, who we like, who some of our player picks are. I, I like kind of sticking with our um, our, uh, our our kind of what what, what did we say it was. It was the horse. We got a, a stallion and and maybe a dark horse and then something in the middle. So uh, who who wants to kick us off? Yeah, you won first last time, so I'll go. Uh, I think you know I think we'd be pretty naive for the next I don't know five or six majors to not pick them. So I'm picking Brooks. <laughs> yeah, tough to, I mean, to just, fade Brooksy. Yeah, I mean I I just don't see why he isn't going to play well to be honest with you i mean he's he's proven it um you know he's starting to get into that he's not there i'm not comparing him to him but i think he's starting to get into that realm of tiger where it's if he's in the field i mean how can you not pick him i mean he's he's proven it i mean the guy's won four of the last eight majors i mean come on i mean it's ridiculous he's been working on his third u.s open in a row yeah i mean he could he could be in very rare air here. And, you know, the last guy to win three US Opens in a row was Willie Anderson. And he did it from 1903 to 1905. So, I mean, if he if he accomplishes it next week, I mean, now we're talking about not only are we, you know, I mean, he's already a Hall of Famer. Now we're talking about a guy who, you know, he might be one of the greatest players of all time. I mean, it's, it's pretty crazy to think, you know, in his uh, – in his PGA presser on Tuesday, the week of the PGA, he said that he doesn't see why he can't get to 10 major championships. 
And, I mean, there's only three guys at double digits. I mean, it's Walter Hagen, Tiger Woods, and Jack Nicholas. I mean, you know, if he gets to if he gets to eight majors, he's with Tom Watson, Gary Player, Ben Hogan, and uh, Sam Snead. I mean, he's in very rare company, and he's with you know. So if he eight's kind of the magic number to me, I think that if he gets to that number, I mean, now we're talking about you know guys that are legends of the game. And, you know, are we going to remember Bruce Kepka's name for you know? A hundred years after he's dead, maybe. I mean, if he gets to that number, I think we definitely will be. And um, you know, so I, I I like him at Pebble. I think he's going to play well. Um, you know, I think he could. You know, he could easily win. Um, you know, I think that the thing is that it brings a lot of people into the equation because it's not a long golf course. It's not like Beth Page. Um, you know, Shinnecock was long. Aaron Hills was long. Um, Bell Reeve was long. You know, that automatically just gives them a huge advantage where, you know, going to Pebble, it's more of a, you know, you see guys like Tom Kite and Graham McDowell, you know, and so any guys like that who just had the week of their lives and they're hitting it great and they're hitting a lot of fairways and hitting a lot of greens and they're getting up and down, when, uh, you know, when they hit bad shots and they're good putters, um, you know, those are guys that tend to survive during U.S. Opens at Pebble. And um, so I could easily see, you know, I, Brooks could easily run away with it. I mean, there's no doubt about it, but I could also see other guys that, you know, have great weeks that you might ne- not necessarily think about. Yeah. Now, Brooksy is uh, definitely <laughs> a solid pick for this one. Uh, I had him in, in my sights. I definitely did. Uh, I also liked DJ for a little while um, with his kind of track history at Pebble. Uh, he, he's always seemed to have been up there. I think he was up there. He was a 54-hole leader, I believe, the last U.S. Open that was out of Pebble. Um, but yeah, I'm not going with those guys. I'm, I'm going with an existing legend of the game. And I can't believe I'm going to say it, but I like Tiger Woods this week at Pebble. Okay. I don't think he's going to make the cut. but <laughs> Love it. Love it. I'm glad you... You went hard fade on Tiger, but I don't know, man. After I, I didn't even see him finish his whole round at Memorial. I saw him get hot in the middle, and I know it's a course that is suited for him, and he loves it. But just I watched a range session. I watched him like cross my YouTube feed or something. I watched Tiger hitting balls uh, in Dublin, Ohio, and I was like, this dude is grooving it. And I know he always is that way. On, you know when he's working on his game but um he was having just dialogue with whoever's hitting balls next to him and i just i'm always a fan of who's in a good mental place for me tiger looks to be in a really good mental place so i'm going with tiger as my uh my lead horse for this one okay um so kind of mid-tier i'll go with our, our mid-tier guy i've been riding him hard all year and really it's it is due to the kid's mental game um my Kind of mid pony is Xander Shoffley. Okay, he's, he's thirty to one. He's thirty to one. So I think what we said was we got to be better than twenty five to one to be in this mid category, uh, or worse than twenty five to one. And uh, I just I just think he's he's still in a good place. He kind of has you know been locking up top tens. Isn't really making a ton of noise. He was up there for a little while until blowing up on set uh, on Sunday at the PGA Championship. I, I like Xander to to be up there come Sunday. Okay. Uh, I'm going to take, I'm going to take Patrick Cantley. Very nice. I think coming off his win last week, uh, you know, I mean, he played great at the masters, um, finished tied for sixth, I believe. And then, or sorry, tied for ninth. And then, um, you know, but had the solo lead there for, a quick second uh, on the back nine on Sunday and then finished tied for third at the PGA. Um, I think he's, you know, finding his own now, just one at Memorial, like I said. And uh, I think that he's he's a great ball striker. He's a great putter. Uh, he's a California kid. He grew up putting those greens. Um, I'm sure he's played Pebble a number of times. Um, I think he's, I don't know, I, I just, I like his mindset. He He's very calm. He he shows no emotion, which I like, and I think he uh, I think he's 
kind of, you know, he's gone through a lot in his life. Um, his best friend was killed right in front of him. Tragically, uh, he's, you know, been hurt a ton the last couple of years. He's finally coming into his own. Um, you know, he's obviously a former uh, number one ranked amateur in the world uh, in 2011. Had a, you know, was low amateur in the U.S. Open in 2011, a congressional, um, when Rory, you know, blew the field away. Um, so I, re- I really like Cantley. I think that he's... I think he's a good pick for the golf course. He's obviously playing great this year, and uh, I look for him to to have a big week. Yeah, what a he, what a story that, that young man has, has made, and um, he he just seems like a, a great dude. I only can't root for him just because of his pace of play. The guy, yeah. he's so meticulous, man, and I get that when you're competing at the highest level. But man, he's just got to pick it up. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, he's he takes a long time over the golf ball, and I, I think he's been working on it. Um, I remember last year seeing a video of him that was just brutal, and he's gotten a little better, but at the same time, I think still at, uh, you know, pace of play. I mean, that's you know, we could talk about pace of play for a whole show. I mean, if we really wanted to, it's just <laughs> it's a huge – just it drives me crazy because I play so fast, but um, I understand that they're playing for – yeah, they don't care. It, it, they're playing for millions of dollars, so – We'll bring on the new club mathematician who is doing some research around pace of play for us. So uh, Kevin Moore will join us when we get to the, the pace of play discussion. But yeah, no, Cantley is an awesome pick, awesome guy. I think would be a really cool story. Um, all right, so dark horses. Uh, you let's see. I went first on our mid ponies. Why don't you? Uh, why don't you throw out your dark horse? Uh, my dark horse is. I like Hideki Matsuyama. I think he, I think people have kind of forgot about him. Uh, He's not the best putter in the world, um, but, you know, he's a fantastic ball striker. He's a great iron player. Um, I think, you know, if this was two years ago, he'd be one of the favorites, Um, you know, coming off his unbelievable stretch and played great in 2017. But I think now he's kind of fallen off a little bit. but, you know, everybody's due for a good week. And I think, you know, what better week to kind of break through than at the U.S. Open at Pebble Beach. And I think that's, you know, he just needs some confidence. He needs some good rounds. And, uh, you know, we'll see. But at the same time, I think it's kind of a good setup for him. Uh, he, you know, he hits it long, but he doesn't have to worry about that. Uh, he's a pretty strategic player as it is. And, uh, you know, I could see him having a pretty solid week. I like it. Not a lot, of, not on a lot of people's boards, I'm sure. Uh, um so I'll allow it, but I do want to clarify he's at 30 to 1. That is much more okay. of a mid pony. Uh, okay. uh, but my, my goal each week is to uh, have a darker horse than your dark horse. So this will not be challenging for me. Um, well, I almost, pick, I almost picked Mike Weir. <laughs> now we're talking. Now we're talking. That would be for Weirzy. His odds aren't even on the board right now. So he, that is, I will not be. The dark horse of Mark Mike Weir. Did he qualify? <laughs> yeah, he did qualify. This is this 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 is Weirzy's first non-masters major since 2013. So uh, so I'm pretty pumped. Uh, my dad's good friends with them. Um, he's great friends with his agent Sheffy, and um, you know it'd be it'd be great to <laughs> it'd be great to see Weirzy play well. I really hope that he uh, is around for the weekend. I, I hope to see him and say hi while I'm out there. But uh, he's a great guy. He's he's finally getting his game back together. Uh, he's played pretty well this year on the Web.com tour. Uh, he played pretty solid at the Masters. I mean, he missed the cut by a shot, but he played pretty well. Um, I feel like his game's getting back. He qualified down in Texas at the earlier U, early U.S. Open qualifier in May. Uh, so I'm excited. I, I think he could – who knows? I mean, you know, maybe he has a great week. I mean, that'd be awesome. I hope he makes a cut, and I hope I see him out there. That's that's awesome. I, I love rooting for that guy, and uh, I'd imagine he's at the Canadian Open this week too, doing a tune-up. I'm sure in his yeah. native land. Um, but that's a good one. That's a really good one. All right, so you you yeah, dark horse me, I think, but um, I'll throw mine out there anyways. Jason Duffner, Duff Daddy, proud. He just qualified. He did just qualify. He played great. Uh, he's a proud ambassador of Dude Wipes. And I just think um, 
he's going to be he, he's just he's a ball striker, you know, and, and the guy flushes the golf ball pretty consistently. And if he can find the flat stick, uh, it can make it happen. But at it, it, 200 to one, it's it's a long shot. But I'll I'll throw out uh, J.D., Jason, Jason Duffner, same childhood yeah. swing coach as myself, ironically. Fun fact. Okay. Mark yeah, he's from Ohio. I always forget that. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he is. Um, so, yeah, there you have it, man. Well, well, very cool. PJ, thanks for giving us the preview for the Open. Um, when you headed out to Pebble? Yeah, so I'm actually leaving uh, the Monday of U.S. Open week. I'll be out there all week uh, doing stats for Shane Bacon, um, one of the hosts at Fox. And uh, what I, I did the same thing for him at the – Women's Open down in Charleston, and uh, so I'm excited. It'll be my first time out of Pebble, um, only my second time in California, and uh, so I'm excited. It'll be fun. Um, you know, the weather looks like it's going to be sunny but cold, so I'm kind of used to it. Sitting in Cleveland right now, it's you know June 5th or whatever, and it's just I'm wearing sweatshirt. But uh, yeah, I think it'll be it's going to be a great week. I'm excited to get out there and uh, get started. And Shane, Shane's a great dude. He uh, did I see he he qualified for the first stage this year, didn't he? Yeah, he did. He got through local qualifying. Uh, he didn't quite make it through uh, sectionals, but he's a good player. He's uh, he's a good guy. Uh, you know, we had a blast. I had a blast working for him down in Charleston, and uh, I'm excited to get back at it next week. Well, you, is he out on the course or is he in a booth? What's the the setup? Where where will you be? Uh, no, so we'll be in a booth. Uh, so he kind of he hosts it, uh, kind of when uh, Joe Buck and Azinger aren't uh, when they need a break. Uh, Shane will come on and he'll do it with Brad Faxon. And then uh, during the weekend, he'll uh, he'll just be doing holes. He's more of a hole announcer. We did all the odd holes at Charleston Country Club, and uh, so I'm just sitting there right next to him and giving him note cards and you know trying to find out anything about the you know how the holes are playing or how the, uh, how the women were playing the holes or anything that I thought that, you know, was relative towards, uh, the broadcast and, uh, you know, that he could use. And, uh, you know, sometimes he used it, sometimes he didn't, but, uh, you know, that's, that's kind of what my job is. And, um, you know, it'll be the same thing at, uh, at Pebble. Love it. Well, we'll be watching, uh, have fun, enjoy it, and uh, we'll talk to you next month for the British Open. Awesome. Yeah, our last major. It's kind of funny. Yeah.